Hi everyone, this is R.W. Lee, and you are listening to An Evening in Church History, the goal of which is to connect Christians to their past, to influence their future. I'm looking forward to beginning this journey with you. Let's get started. So what exactly is Evenings in Church History? Well, I'm creating this podcast because of a need. In the interest of full disclosure, I have grown up my entire life a part of the Protestant, Evangelical, Southern Baptist tradition. Yes, the Deep South, Bible Belt, all of those things. If you consider issues such as the Trinity, the virgin birth, the inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility of Scripture— you could pretty much guess where I'm going to fall, and that is in the affirmative. I've noticed, however, as important as these issues are to the growth and, I believe, health of the church, I have noticed a glaring lack of knowledge or even desire to understand those who've come before. It's as if we go to church and worship in such a way that we live in a vacuum, like there's been no other day besides today. We don't need in our fast-moving culture any sorts of continuity, any reason to hold to one truth as well as another. Instead, we hold the truths in isolation to each other. History, on the other hand, does not allow for this. It tells us that we exist in a long line of believers before us, those who have paved the way of our traditions in their blood, sweat, and ink. And so it is this podcast's goal to rectify this situation insofar as I am, in my small way, able. Now, as I said before, I am a Southern Baptist but I consider myself to be a part of the Reformed tradition. Now, I understand that there is a lot with what I have just said that you could take issue. And while I will target many in the Protestant, Reformed, and Baptist traditions, I think it's important to understand that these interact with wider Christian tradition as a whole. See, I'm not approaching this with the guise of complete objectivity. No, I will attempt to be as objective as I can, but I do have presuppositions, as do you. If I'm going to approach history from the perspective that we do not exist in a vacuum, I as an historian cannot attempt to interpret history as if we exist in a vacuum. No, One thing needs to carry on from another, and I am going to have leanings. So instead of offering you something that is underneath the guile of pure objectivity, I'm simply offering you a perspective, my perspective, an interpretation. You can take that or leave it, but that's up to you, and I'm here to simply offer it. What exactly do I mean 
when I refer to something as orthodox or reference orthodoxy. Allow me to give you a brief example. In 1867, a group in America formed the Evangelical Alliance for the United States. They were a spinoff of an English group that had been formed about 21 years earlier. The group as a whole affirmed a nine-point doctrinal statement. But in addition to this, the American group adopted this statement. Quote, Resolved that in the same spirit we propose no new creed, but taking broad, historical, and evangelical Catholic ground, we solemnly reaffirm and profess our faith in all the doctrines of the inspired Word of God, and in the consensus of doctrines as held by all true Christians from the beginning. And we do more especially affirm our belief in the divine human person and atoning work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as the only and sufficient source of salvation, as the heart and soul of Christianity, and as the center of all true Christian union and fellowship. End quote. Commenting on this passage, Dr. Tom Nettles says, quote, Orthodoxy, in the spirit of Athanasius, is discerned as a safeguard of evangelical soteriology. The evangelical message asserts the uniqueness of Jesus Christ as the personal revelation of God, the completeness of his work in humiliation and exaltation for the redemption of sinners, the effectual working of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel, and the necessity of the uncoerced response of repentance and faith. The heart of evangelicalism throbs with the redeeming gospel of grace. End quote. This to me is central to any inquiry into church history. And as we interact with those who affirmed this gospel, as well as those who denied it, we will see that there is the common thread of the gospel through it all. God and his word never returned void. The term historical theology can seem ambiguous to many. I think that Dr. Greg Allison offers a fine definition in his seminal work on the topic. He says, quote, Historical theology is the study of the interpretation of Scripture and the formulation of doctrine by the Church of the past. Such concentration on the accumulated wisdom of the ages provides great benefit to Christians and churches today as they seek to live faithfully and obediently for Jesus Christ. End quote. So, why study historical theology? Well, in the first place, it testifies to God's faithfulness throughout generations. Secondly, it shows us that God has been at work in his people through the Holy Spirit for millennia. Thirdly, it grounds us and affirms us in our faith and tells us that the same spirit that has been at work throughout these millennia is showing us the same truths that he has revealed in ages past. This is something that can bring us comfort, joy, and strengthen us in our own faith. 
The church has withstood many dangers, toils, and snares, fiery darts that have been thrown at it from the inside as well as the outside. And yet, when something as dangerous as heresy has approached and even threatened to overtake the entirety of the church, as we will see when we study times like during the Arian controversy, we will see that God has been up to something, that God has been faithful to preserve his people, and that we, maybe, can learn a little something for the future. Historical theology then takes a unique place for us as Protestant Christians. Rather than being a source of ultimate authority, it acts as a guide. Biblical, systematic, exegetical theology all seek to derive ultimate truth from the Word of God and present it in such a way that we can see practical and hermeneutical applications from it. Historical theology aids this practice by showing how Christians have interpreted questions in the past. How have we understood issues like the problem of evil, the sinfulness of sin, Christian contentment, the Holy Spirit, and on and on and on they go. Alistair McGrath offers a helpful word on this. Quote, tradition is like a filter which allows us to identify suspect teachings immediately. To protest that we have never believed this before is not necessarily to deny the correctness of the teaching in question, but it is to raise a fundamental question. Why have Christians not believed this before? And on further investigation, it usually turns out that there are often very good reasons for not accepting that belief. The past here acts as both a resource and a safeguard, checking unhelpful and unorthodox doctrinal developments by demanding that their supporters explain their historical and theological credentials. End quote. God has given us the gift of historical theology, of church history, to guide us in our reading and interpretation of Scripture, but not to be the ultimate authority for faith and practice. you have enjoyed this inaugural episode, and I hope that you will continue to join me as we dive deeper into what God has done throughout the centuries among his people. I hope to continue to hear audience feedback, to hear ideas, thoughts, ways that I can improve the podcast. I intend for this to be a long journey, something that's not going to be right the first time. And I'm sure I'll listen back to this episode one day and cringe. But I do hope that it has been to some benefit. And I know that it certainly has been for me. Grace and peace to you. And thank you for joining me this evening in church history.